0: ago, Dr. Roy Baumeister did a study, which was a, a mirror, or a slight change on a study that was done a number of years before that, where they got a group of, or a individual four-year-olds to come in to a room, and on the table before them was five sweets, and they had them lined up on the table, five sweets. And they said to these four-year-olds, "If you can wait ten minutes, you can have all five sweets, ten minutes." And there was a little bell there. come in and you can have two sweets, but that's all you're getting, just two out of the five. If you can wait the ten minutes, all five. If you can only uh, if you can't wait that long, you can only have two, and then we'll come and take the other three away." And so it, they brought in these four-year-olds into the, uh, to the room. And what they did was that over the years, this was a few years ago, they then monitored those children to see whether those children that waited the 10 minutes and got all five, all, all five sweets, how well they were doing life, how well they were doing studies, how whether they would go to university or not, whether they would get good jobs, paying jobs or not, and so on. And they compared those that managed to wait the 10 minutes to those that couldn't wait at all and just took the two sweets. Do you know what the difference was? What do you think? They didn't have patience, some of them. No difference is not the right answer. They found that the children that waited to get all five sweets ended up, on average, doing far better than the children that didn't wait. And as they've repeated that study a number of times, it's been true every single time, that those that have self-control and can wait will do better in life than those that don't. Self-control is one of the key elements they have concluded towards a success successful living we often think they they said in the end of the study that you often think about self-worth and building self-worth into a child self-worth is obviously good but you also need to build in self-control a child without self-control ends up going off the rails very easily and very quickly so they said build in self-control as well as self-worth into children's lives and that brings us on to where we're looking at today. Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-eight says, Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. The Bible has so much to say about self-control. Right from the beginning, the first story in the Bible, Adam and Eve, is a story about a lack of self-control. God says, eat anything, but don't eat that. Self-control was sadly wanting in both of them, and they disobeyed God. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. We've been looking together about how we go deeper with God. Self-control is one of those keys that we need to add into our lives, the Bible says in Second Peter, if we want to go deeper in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Self-control literally means holding oneself in. Holding oneself in. You go into Wenzel's and you see all those wonderful cream cakes. Self-control. I was out in London on Friday walking down this street with my son and my wife. And temptation was there in a patisserie. And in the window of the patisserie was full of cream cakes, freshly made cream cakes. I could have devoured the whole shop window. I was hungry. We were on our way to go and get lunch. I was thinking of saying, go no further. My wife, my son carried on walking. I was glued to the window. then they looked around and said, come on, self-control, it's holding oneself in, it's not giving in to those kind of urges. Now self-control implies two things, before we get there, something that we need to control. You don't need self-control if there isn't something, an urge within us that we have to control. And it also implies that we have the power to control it. You see, self-control, first of all, it stops us from doing wrong. Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Self-control can stop us from going off the rails, doing something that we later regret, doing something that's not healthy for us. That's one part of self-control. But self-control also keeps us doing the right thing. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the peace of God, the God of peace will be with you. Self-control is not only about stopping us doing the negative things, but it's also about making sure we focus on the right things, on the good things, on the things that build us up as well. And so self-control has these two kind of parameters to it. Second Peter, let's go back to where we've come from. Love, we said, if we're going to go deeper with God, love has got to be the motivation. We need to remove the barriers, Hebrews 12 verse 1, the sin and the things that hinder us. We need to recognize from 2 Peter one three that his divine power, his dunamis power has gifted us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. He's already given it to you and to me and how do we access it? We access it through his promises. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. And then we looked at, well, how do we then access through those promises? It says, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge. Knowledge, we said, is reflecting on the world from a God perspective. And then it carries on. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. Goodness is faith in action. And to your goodness, knowledge, that perspective from God. And to knowledge, self-control. And then self-control, perseverance, and perseverance, godliness. Godliness, mutual affection, and mutual affection, love. We have to add to that knowledge that we spoke about last week, self-control. It's the next piece of the jigsaw puzzle if we're going to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. It says, because if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, here's a promise from God, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you add all these things into your life, you will be productive and effective for God. Your relationship with God will grow and you will be effective for Him. So how, how do we then grow? How how can self-control grow within me? We can all think about things where we need to exercise more self-control, each one of us. We can think about things in our lives that we know about that we try to keep hidden from others where we struggle, things that we try and keep hidden from everybody else because we don't want them to know that we're struggling in this particular area. How? How can self-control grow within me? How do I add to my knowledge self-control? How do I I grow that self-control within me? Well, there are a number of steps. First, we need to have an open life. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. We need to have an open life. What I mean by that is, we need to be accountable to someone else. Every single believer in Jesus Christ needs someone who they're going to be accountable to, and that person to them. Everybody. You cannot do this on your own. You know, and I know, I get into situations where I try and exercise self control and I fail. Why do I fail? because I'm trying to do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. You need someone who will hold you accountable. You have a weakness in a particular area. Have someone that will hold you accountable. Not so that they can judge you, but so that they can pick you up when you fall down. So that they can encourage you as you continue. So they can support you and surround you and help you to grow. We need someone like that. Someone who will be there for us in those difficult moments. Let me give you a simple example. The job of a pastor is a really multifaceted role, as I'm sure you can imagine. It has no time scales. It's not like a nine-to-five job where you clock in and you clock out at the end of the day. Because somebody can phone you any time of the day or night. You're there 24-7. You have meetings and people and preparation, sermons to write, services to put together, people to visit, all sorts of different things, and it's never-ending. So before I came into the ministry... Before I became a pastor, I said to my wife, I said, Inika, you need to tell me when I'm getting too busy. I have priorities in my life. God first, my wife second, my children third, ministry fourth. That's the way God called me. That's the way he covenanted my relationships. So I said to my wife, I said, Inika, you need to tell me if I am getting that out of perspective. If the ministry is taking over everything else, if the ministry is becoming even a hindrance to my relationship with Jesus Christ, or my relationship with you, or my relationship with my children. Why did I say that? Because I won't see it. What happens is my diary, somebody will come to me and say, Oh David, can, can we meet up this week? Sure, I'll look, Oh, I've got a free slot on Wednesday, I'll fit, fit that in on Wednesday afternoon. Then someone else will come up, and I go, oh, yeah, I got a free slot on Thursday. I will fit it in on Thursday. And then somebody else will come up and say, oh, I'm sorry, David, but I can't see you then. Can I see you on Friday? And I say, well, Friday's kind of my day off, but okay, it's kind of urgent, so let's do it on a Friday. And so Friday gets booked up, and pretty soon you know that every time slot right throughout the week is booked up with one thing or the other. And I'll do that because that's who I am. So I needed someone who I'm accountable to, someone who would say to me, David, you're overdoing it. David, you're not gonna be effective. David, you need to slow down. David, your priorities are out of sync with what they should be. And I said to Enoch, I said, you will see it before, long, long before I'll see it. I said, and I want you to tell me when I'm getting that out of balance. When the balance in my life goes out, and I said to her, I said, don't think that I can just change it like that because I can't. It'll probably take me two weeks to slow down. It'll be like a super tanker coming into port. Because I've will already booked up two weeks worth in advance of busyness. But as soon as you say something, I need, I'll recognize it and then I need to, to do something about it. And so I said to Inika, you've got to do that for me. Two are better than one. That's what I mean about having someone you're accountable to. Someone that says, hey, how's your relationship with Jesus going right now? Someone that will say to you, hey, how's it going in this particular area where you're struggling because you've shared it with them? That has that confidence and that relationship with you to be able to ask you those awkward questions that you don't want asked and the ones that you don't really wanna answer. You need someone that will do that with you and someone you can do that for as well because they need it as much as you. If you wanna grow in self-control, you need to have someone in the body of Christ who you're accountable to. I want you to think right now, who would that person be for you? Can be a spouse, can be a friend, Someone that you trust, that you are willing to say, hey, I'm struggling in this area of my life. Help me. Who would that person be? Who is that person in your life? Have an open life. Not open to everybody, but to at least one person that you can share with on that kind of level. Second thing is this, flee from temptation and sin. 1 Corinthians six eighteen to 20 says, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The Bible says we need to flee. When temptation comes, when there is a danger that your self-control will give out, run. That is the moment to start running. Years ago, I was uh, walking in the countryside, got hopelessly lost. That's not unusual for me. Ended up taking a shortcut across this field I was halfway across the field and I suddenly noticed at the other end of a field was this massive bull. What do you think I did? Picked up some grass and said, Here, bull, would you like some food? No, I hightailed it out of there as far I didn't look back because this bull looked rather angry and started running towards me and the people I was with. We ran for the nearest fence. We didn't care what was in the way, and we jumped the fence as fast as we could. And I didn't stop to even look around and see how close this bull was charging behind me. That's what it means to flee. You run for it, and you keep on running. Now, sometimes we can't run. We can't physically run away. And so what we need to do is to run within ourselves, to run emotionally, spiritually. You see, when you flee, there's two things you need to do. First, you need to recognize what you're fleeing from. Where is the danger in this situation? Where is it that I need to run away from? And then the second thing is we need to run away in whatever way we can run away. I remember when I was studying at college, our uh, counseling tutor He told us this. He said that he used to go traveling a lot because of his ministry and uh, speaking at different conferences. And he had a, a weakness in his life. He was married, had children, but he had a weakness in sexual area of his life. He recognized it, first of all. That's crucial. He didn't pretend that he didn't have it. He didn't pretend. It wasn't that he didn't love his wife. He did. He loved his kids. But he knew that when he was away for sometimes a week or two on his own, that he would be lonely, he would be in a hotel room, and there would be temptation that would come his way. Now, he couldn't physically flee from that because he was going around touring. So what he did was, he did a number of things. First thing he did was on the top of his suitcase, he took a picture of his wife and his children. And as soon as he got to his hotel room, by the side of his bed, he put his photograph of his wife and his children. So that every time he went to bed, every time he woke up, he was reminded of the family to which he was committed. The second thing he did was he sat down and he wrote down every single consequence if he had a one-night stand with someone. He wrote down everything that would go wrong with his marriage, what it would mean to his children, what it would mean to him, what it would mean to the ministry. And he listed it out on a big sheet of paper and he laminated it and he put that on the top next to that picture in his suitcase. And every time when he went away, before he would do anything else, he read out loud every single consequence of what would happen. You see, he was fleeing from temptation, he was reminding himself of what is going to happen if I fall in this situation the damage that this will do that will never ever be repaired because he gives him one night. And the third thing he did was every single night he was away, he would phone his wife, regardless of the time. And she would recognize that he needed a phoner to remind himself and to remind her. She knew he shared it with his wife. She knew the temptation that he was under, but he found a way to flee from it even though he still needed to go into situations where he was tempted. You need to find ways that you flee from the temptations that you have. Don't think that you're gonna just go away like that man and go, hey, I'm strong enough, I can handle this. How many men and women have tried that and failed and left devastation behind? You find ways that you flee from it, either by getting out of the situation. If you can leave it, leave it. If you can't, then find another way to flee from those situations. Flee from temptation. Flee from sin. Because self-control needs to grow in your body. And the more you flee, the more that self-control will grow. The third thing is grow self-control within your spirit. By his Holy Spirit. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self discipline. God's Spirit living inside of you, it says in 2 Timothy, gives you a spirit not just of power, not just of love, but also of self control. One of the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, sorry, is self control. The last one listed, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God starts to work in you to grow self-control within you. It's part of the fruit. So as you stay connected to the vine, stay connected to God, so self-control grows within you as we seek a deeper intimacy with God, so you will find that self-control will be one of the things that grows within you. You don't necessarily have to focus on self-control. You focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. As you grow that relationship, as you spend time with Jesus, what you'll find is the more you spend time with Jesus Christ, the more you spend time with the Spirit of God and with the Father, self-control will naturally grow within you. Because it's one of the fruits of being in the Spirit of God. It's one of the things that He grows within you out of His character. This is God's character within you, growing as He works in you, as you spend time with Him. So seek that deeper intimacy with God. You see, self-control is kind of like this. It's the boundary markers. Of love, Self-control, first of all, provides the, the boundaries, if you like, in which the gifts of God's Spirit work. Where you have self-control, have you ever met someone who is really gifted, but they don't know how to use those gifts in appropriate ways? They're gifted and they have the gifts of God, but they just seem to kind of dump them on you. And you're going, whoa, 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 like I see your gifts, but it's just not appropriate the way you're using them. You see, self-control hones those gifts, provides a boundary line, a parameter into which those gifts can work effectively for His glory. But they also provide a boundary whereby we can stay pure and holy, where we can stay within the, the character and the love and the Framework of God, where all these gifts and abilities that He's given us can grow and to flourish. They're the limits, if you like, the limits of God's character, the limits of God's agenda, the limits of God's timing. And so, as we seek that intimacy with God, as we continue to allow God to grow self control within us, you'll find that the gifts and abilities that He's given you will become more and more effective because they'll be working within the framework of God and also that you will grow more deeper with him as you use those gifts because they will be within that remit of God in your life. So grow, ask God to grow those gifts. The fourth thing is this, reflect on it with Jesus. Pray about it. When you're in a situation, say, Lord, I need more self-control in my life. Ask him for it. It's one of his gifts that he wants to give you. It's one of the fruits of God that he wants to manifest in your life. So he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Spend time every day reflecting with Jesus. Lord, when today did I see self-control being manifested in my life? Was there a situation today, Lord, where it, it failed? Then forgive me. Reflect on your life with Jesus. Spend time thinking about yourself and your life, the ministry that God has given you, the abundance of the riches of his glory that he wants in your life. How are you doing with Jesus? Talk to him, listen to him. Ask him for help, ask him for forgiveness. Ask him to grow you in self-control because he longs to grow these things, these fruits within your life. But to do that, you need to open yourself and ask him. Reflect with him on your life. And lastly, stay close to the body of Christ, God's family. You see, it says, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Think about that for a minute. So, if one of us fails because our self control is not strong enough, we all fail. If one of us succeeds because God has raised up that self control within us so that we flee from that situation, then we can all rejoice together. Because we're all part of the one body, we're all interconnected. It's not just me and God. On this nice little journey together, it's us together. We have a responsibility to one another, whether we like it or not. When you become a part of the family of God, you have a responsibility to the rest of the family. It's what the Bible says. It's not just about you, it's about us. If one part is suffering, then we're all suffering. If one part is being honoured, then we're all being honoured. We're all part of the body of Christ. Each one of you is a part of it. And he goes on to describe different gifts and abilities and how they work together. We need each one, each other. And so we need to stay close to one another as the body of Christ. Remember when we looked about goodness... And we made that commitment that we would encourage one another. This is where it comes in. We need to encourage each other and support each other. Bear each other's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. Be there for each other. Know about each other so that if somebody is struggling, we can encourage and help lift them up. If you're doing really great in your relationship with Jesus and you're not struggling, then you need to be an encourager to others who are. We're in this together, not to point a finger at anyone, but to just be together as one team, one working together for His glory. That's why we need to stay close to the body of Christ. How many people do you know that have fallen, that, that have tried to go it alone, and their self-control wasn't wasn't strong enough. They mess up. So what do they do? They quit the body of Christ because they fear the persecution and the judgment of other people around them, when in actual fact, we should be welcoming them in, putting our arms of love around them and saying, you know what? God forgives you. We have nothing to forgive because we've all been there anyway. Not a single one of us has ever gone through our lives and self-control hasn't been an issue. And I would guarantee that no one of us right now is not thinking about areas in our life where we need greater self-control. Because we're all sinners before our holy God. We're all people that struggle with different aspects of our lives. And so we need one another to encourage and to build one another up. That's why we need to stay close to the body of Christ. We need to change our thinking because so often if we mess up, we drift away from the body of Christ. If we're doing something we know that God doesn't like, we drift away instead of being welcomed back in and receiving the support and the encouragement that one another can give. That God can give through each one of us. Hebrews 10 tells us to spur one another on until we reach that full maturity in Christ. That is our role for one another. So, how can self control grow within me? Bible says add to faith goodness and add to goodness knowledge and add to knowledge self-control. There was a 14th century duke in Belgium, Reynald the third. He loved cakes. He loved all the kind of fatty foods that he could get hold of. And so he was grossly overweight. Reynold had a younger brother, called Edward. And after a violent quarrel between the two of them one day, Edward captured Reynold, overthrew him, but he didn't kill him. He put him in a room in Newark Castle, and he promised his older brother that he could retain his title and the rulership of the kingdom where they were if he could just walk out of the door. The problem was that Reynold loved cakes so much that he was so overweight that he couldn't actually fit outside the door or the window. And so every day, this is a true story, every day his brother Edward would bring him platefuls of cakes. And he said to his brother, you can walk out of here the day you walk out of here I will relinquish the title the throne everything else you can have your kingdom back let me get this I think it was but every day he sent these cakes and delicious food his brother was in there 14 years every day eating 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 he could not resist the food that was brought and so he never shrunk enough sights to be able to walk out of that door he had no self control the day he left that room was the day that his brother died and they finally knocked a hole big enough to get him out But he didn't survive more than a year because of the size and how much he'd eaten. But that's like self control for us, isn't it? Sometimes we lock ourselves in those rooms of temptation and sin. And we can't get ourselves out of that room because we just, the battle within us is so great. We don't want to admit failure so we don't tell anybody else, so we don't get their support and encouragement. We don't know how to flee from it because it's enticing to us. And so we, we kind of wrestle within ourselves because we know it's not healthy and we know it's not right, but we, we just we can't say no to the cakes that are before us. And so there we stay, racked with guilt and effective in our, in our walk with Jesus because we know this is holding us back and is affecting our growth with Him. And every time we close our eyes, every time we pray, every time we start to get intimate with Jesus, Jesus says to us, hey, give that up. You don't need it in your life. I have so many blessings awaiting you if you'll just stop that and receive forgiveness for it. But like Reynold in that room, we just keep eating, and we just keep digesting, and we just keep feeling guilty. Jesus said, if you want to grow deeper in your relationship, allow him to increase that self-control within you. Have someone that you can share with. Take a risk someone that you trust, that you can come alongside and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I've been struggling with this for years. Pray for me, help me, encourage me. Don't judge me, just love me because I'm struggling. And I wanna overcome this, so I'm gonna be accountable to you. I want you to ask me those hard questions, not to make me feel worse, but to lift me up and help me on the journey. Because I want to go deeper with Christ. Receive the forgiveness that God wants to offer you. Reflect with Jesus. Stay close to the body of Christ. Think about these questions. Where do I need most God's help with self control in my life? If there is one area in your life today where you need greater self control, what would that area be? Where have you failed? Where do you feel discouraged today? Where do you need forgiveness from the Lord today? Where's that area that you hide from everybody else because you're so embarrassed and you fear that others would judge you if they really knew? Who do you have in your life to be accountable to, to receive encouragement and support from? Who is that one person that you can share yourself openly with? No, they won't judge you, but they'll encourage you and support you because they love you that much. When temptation comes, how do you deal with it? If you have a weakness, how are you dealing with that weakness in your life? How are you fleeing away from it? How are you being active in running away and so growing that self-control within you? And lastly, honestly, where is your focus? Because if growing with Christ is the priority in your life, then you need greater and greater self-control. The Bible says from beginning to end, the importance of self-control. You know, I'm not surprised. So that, that guy right at the start that I was talking about found self-control so important in young people's lives because the Word of God said it thousands of years before. Self-control is vital if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't do it without self-control. It's in all the lists. It's one of the fruits of God's Spirit working in you. And he says here, you want to go in more intimate with him? Add to your faith, goodness. Add to your goodness, knowledge. And add to your knowledge, self-control. Ronnie, are you going to sing that song? Ronnie's going to sing a song. And while he sings it, I want you just to think about these questions in your own life. Where do you need God's help? If you failed, ask Him today for forgiveness. He wants to give it to you. He loves to give forgiveness. He loves to wipe the slate clean and say, hey, you're a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. If you haven't got anybody that you're accountable to, anybody that you can share with like that, think about who you can grow and develop a relationship that has that kind of closeness that you can share tempted when you have a weakness and you're tempted, how do you deal with it? How do you actually flee from it? And where, honestly, is your focus? Just think about these questions as Ronnie thinks.
1: grets and mistakes come today there's no reason to wait jesus is calling